This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Texas Democrats are fleeing their state to prevent their Republican colleagues from holding a special session, during which Governor Greg Abbott is hoping to pass severe voting rights and abortion restrictions, among other issues. Just recently, Governor Abbott signed an anti-abortion bill into law that bans abortions after about six weeks into a pregnancy, which is often around the time one learns that one is pregnant. Worse, the law effectively deputizes ordinary people, not the courts or other authorities, to sue abortion providers, doctors, and anyone helping to end a pregnancy. My guest is Imani Gandhi, senior legal analyst for rewirenewsgroup.com, where she covers law and the courts and co-hosts the podcast Boom Lawyered. Welcome to the program, Imani. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the abortion bill, let's talk about what is unfolding this week with the voting rights issue. Texas, like other Republican-led states, is attempting to basically acquire democratically, or I should say acquire political power by just by just thwarting democracy, by making it harder to vote. Um, what do you, and, and Demo- this is not, not the first time that Democrats in the state have sort of fled to try to, of you know, to prevent a quorum, basically. Um, how do you explain what is happening happening in terms of the Democrats' attempt to preserve what's left of voting rights in Texas? Well, what I think is most interesting about the legislators who walked out, and I don't like to use the term flee because it makes them (laughs) sound a bit like cowards. And I actually think that what they've done is, is, is really brave in terms of shining a light on the voter suppression and the gerrymandering that goes on in Texas. Electorally, there's nothing fair about being a Democrat in Texas. Uh, and I think that the attempts to to sort of impose these new voting restrictions is is a clear case of that. And, you know, as you said, they did walk out in May. And I think in this session, they removed some of the more odious provisions. I think they removed the provision that permits essentially Republicans just overturn elections that they don't like. And I believe they also they also removed another key provision that was not acceptable to the Democrats. And I can't recall what it is Mm -hmm. off the top of my head right now. But I think what's critical is that Texas Democrats, sort of like what Wisconsin Democrats did a decade ago when they walked out to protest an anti-union bill that Wisconsin Republicans were trying to, to push through. I think it's critical to shine a light on what's going on in Texas. I think it's critical for Texas Democrats to hopefully pave the way for Democrats and other voter suppressed states to take what could be seen as unusual action in terms of walking out of the legislature, getting on, getting on a plane. And I think they flew to DC. And I think that that's a really good progression to make because what's going on in DC is really indicative of the sort of voter suppression and really voting trauma that Republicans are trying to impose on black and brown voters across the country. So I think it was a bold and brave move. I think the fact that most of those legislators, at least the the photos that I saw were black and brown women protecting the black and brown vote in Texas, I think it's critical. Right, they did go to the nation's capital, to Washington, D.C. So let's talk about the, before we get to the special session that Governor Abbott wants to push through and wants, needs their presence for, let's look at the backdrop on the issue of abortion. Uh, In addition to voting rights restrictions, uh, Texas has joined other Republican-led states on making it harder and harder to obtain an abortion. Is the law that Abbott signed about the making abortion illegal after six weeks into a pregnancy. Is that one of the most restrictive in the nation that you've seen? 
It is. It, it is um, without question. And that's not only because of the six week gestational ban marker. There are a lot of states that have been trying to pass six week bans for the past several years. But what makes this particular Texas bill particularly odious is that there's really no remedy that people who are being oppressed by these by this law have. So the law essentially deputizes Anyone who opposes abortion, anyone who sees an abortion that violates this particular statute that is that is that is conducted prior to this six week mark, this arbitrary six week mark, it allows anyone in the country who opposes abortion to file a lawsuit against that provider and not just against the provider, but against anyone who helped the, the patient get that abortion. So that means abortion funds like T fund. That means just mutual aid organizations, you know, people who will tweet out, for example, so-and-so needs an abortion. Does anyone have $5 they want to send to this GoFundMe? Those types of fundraisers could be construed as aiding or abetting an abortion. So that becomes criminalized. So it's bad enough that this law is a unconstitutional pre-viability abortion ban, but the, the enforcement mechanism is so unusual in that it is not enforced by any state actor. It's enforced by private actors. And so normally what happens when you have a law that's passed like this, the state is giving is given the power to to um, in, impose the penalties or to enforce it. Right. By taking out the state action, the state enforcement mechanism, what it does is it essentially makes it really difficult for anyone to file an injunction, to file for a temporary restraining order blocking that law from going into effect. So what I mean by that is, you know, for the past five, six, seven years, as soon as a law like this is passed, Planned Parenthood or the ACLU or the Center for Reproductive Rights will file a lawsuit almost immediately challenging the law on the grounds that it's unconstitutional. What the state of Texas has done has made it impossible for those people to find anyone in the Texas government to sue because there's no one in the Texas government who can enforce the law. And if there's no one in the Texas government who can enforce the law, then suing someone in the Texas government is pointless because there's no remedy that you can get. And so what it's doing is it's it, is it's sort of opening up the legal process to everyone in the country, someone in Alaska, for example, if there's an anti-choice protester or advocate in Alaska who disagrees with abortion and who thinks that someone in Texas should not have been able to get a particular abortion. They can sue the abortion provider. They can sue the Uber driver who drove that person to the abortion. They can sue someone who saw a, a link on Twitter and decided that they were going to dig into their pocket and provide 10, 15, 20 dollars to support that person getting an abortion. So it's really, really pernicious. And I have to kind of hand it to Texas Republicans. It's actually rather clever. Um, and we'll see how far that clever ruse is going to go because the Center for Reproductive Rights has just announced today that they're filing a lawsuit challenging this particular Right. Law. I was just going to mention the uh, Austin Center for Reproductive Rights, Planned Parenthood uh, and others um, have filed a federal lawsuit in Texas on Tuesday seeking to block the law. I'm assuming this might be the same or maybe in addition to the law, the organization you mentioned. What's interesting is also that he, the bill incentivizes private citizens financially, that if they mm -hmm. were to successfully challenge someone implicated in an abortion in court, that they get 10,000 bucks for doing so. Right. And so it's it's using taxpayer dollars to provide a bounty for bounty hunters to go attacking or harassing abortion providers. It's truly 
it's a truly remarkable move, um, made only more remarkable by the fact that there's a city in Texas, Lubbock, Texas, that tried that that has essentially passed a law that designates Lubbock, Texas as a sanctuary city. And because there's a, a sanctuary abort- for what? A, a, a sanctuary city for the quote unquote unborn, mm. right? So there are these, and I think it's the 30th one right now that we have in Texas, where there are these, these municipalities that have passed these localized uh, uh, bills that criminalize abortion. And so the fact that Lubbock, Texas did this and Lubbock, Texas did this with this private enforcement mechanism and Planned Parenthood filed a lawsuit and that lawsuit was dismissed on the grounds that I just spoke about on the grounds that there was there's no lawsuit yet, right? There's no one who has been harmed by this law. So what has to happen in Lubbock, Texas, is that someone has to try to go get an abortion, be sued by some private actor in state or out of state, and then the lawsuit can commence because then the lawsuit is what we like to call in legal parlance ripe, meaning that it is it is it is ready, like fruit, right? Like you know, you don't pick a fruit off of a tree before it's ripe. You don't file a lawsuit and expect a remedy before that lawsuit is ripe. And so right now, what we have is the potential for, let's say, for example, Operation Save America decides to target whole woman's health, a whole a whole woman's health clinic. Whole woman's health is the lead plaintiff in the lawsuit that was filed on Tuesday. Let's say a bunch of different anti-abortion advocates decide to file lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit against this one clinic. That means that one clinic has to fight a multi-front war. They have to defend lawsuits from multiple people who could be suing them from all over the country. Um, And another thing I believe that's in this particular law is that there's no opportunity for the person being sued to change the venue of the lawsuit, meaning, you know, meaning a, a clinic in Austin maybe could be could be sued in a in a federal court in in the Rio Grande or in Dallas or, you know, somewhere that's 300, 400, 500 miles away from the clinic, thus disrupting the clinic's business, obviously disrupting the clinic's finances. If they have to fight more than one lawsuit at a time, that's going that is negative incentive for these clinics to just close before they before they've even performed an abortion that is seen as objectionable by someone outside the state or inside the state. They are they might be more compelled or more impelled to close their doors outright rather than have this sort of Damocles sort of hanging over their head, this this threat of lawsuits from whomever, wherever, hanging over their head, which means that they might have to close and go bankrupt anyway. So it's a really clever but pernicious way to harass abortion providers and to permit anyone in the country who opposes abortion to harass abortion providers in Texas. So it's not enough still for Governor Greg Abbott, who in the special session that Senate, that Texas Democrats are trying to thwart, uh, Abbott wants to, in addition to improve in election integrity, which is, of course, code for voter suppression, wants to take action on abortion-inducing drugs. I'm looking at the special session agenda that was released last week by the governor's office. And on this agenda is taking action on abortion-inducing drugs, which would prohibit people from providing abortion-inducing drugs by mail or delivery service, et cetera. Um, I mean, and and to ensure that no abortion-inducing drugs are provided unless there is voluntary and informed consent, as if somebody would order abortion-inducing drugs without their own consent. I mean, it just so... 
It's disturbing, particularly because Texas already has an informed consent law. So there are already laws that that dictate what it is a, a person seeking an abortion has to do in order to get that abortion. And part of that is counseling. And a part of that is essentially a state mandated script that a doctor has to provide to a patient, irrespective of whether they would have provided that, that, that information or not. When it comes to medication abortion, I mean, that's primarily what abortion-inducing drugs are, medication abortion, the, the, the medication abortion two-pill regimen, you know, this is, a, this is a method of abortion that a lot of people choose because it enables them to terminate a pregnancy safely at home. And especially with the pandemic, it is a, it is a way to terminate a pregnancy without going outside and potentially, if you're immunocompromised, having to deal with people who might have COVID. And so this idea that, particularly during the pandemic, there were lists of drugs that were that were that the FDA and that state legislature said that you no longer have to go to a clinic in order to get these particular drugs. But but the two pill regimen medication abortion was not on that list. So they still wanted people who wanted to get a medication abortion. They wanted them to have to go to a clinic. And of course, that that was sort of counterintuitive because part of the problem with the COVID, especially in the initial stages, was that there was a lack of, of the protective equipment, right, the PPE. And so by forcing patients to go to a medical clinic, to go to a clinic to get a pill, you're just using up more of the materials that people needed to fight the COVID pandemic. So it's just a morass of really nonsensical, hypocritical ways of of just sort of coming down on people who are vulnerable, people who need an abortion, people who want to take medication, who want to, to, to get an abortion by taking these pills that you could easily just get on a Zoom call, talk to a doctor over, you know, remotely telemedicine, get the pills, take the pills, and then deal with if there are complications thereafter, then you can call the doctor, you can go to the hospital. But the complication rates are so minimal and the, the complications, excuse me, are so minimal and the complication rate is so minute that it's just another way for Texas to pile on to people who are already struggling with respect to needing abortion care. And of course, lest we uh, forget about uh, some other aspects of the culture of war that uh, that Texas is involved in. Governor Abbott's special session also includes a um, advancing legislation on critical race theory. Yes, of course. Um, you know, so so this is the and, and it's social media censorship. I mean, it's like he's taking talking points from Trump still. Um, you mentioned that trans rights. Mm -hmm. There's there's a there's he's attacking trans students, trans athletes. Yep. I mean, youth you're sports. Absolutely... Yes, there's a section on youth sports. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, everything that he's doing is essentially like the three prongs that the Republican Party nationally are going after. Right. Abortion, critical race theory, which came out of nowhere. And I find just remarkable. I took critical race theory in law school. There were 15 people in the class. It was something I had to seek out. This is not something that's widespread, but Republicans believe it is, so they're attacking that. And then they're also attacking trans youth. And it's just, there are better things to do in Texas, right? Infrastructure in Texas is failing dramatically. And rather than work nothing on that- Nothing on the agenda about the massive nothing. flooding <laughs> and the fact that millions of Texans were just some months ago left without power. People died. Nothing on the agenda about that. Nope. All culture war stuff. And it's just it's it's sad, but that's where we are right now. The Republicans are desperately trying to at the same time cling to the Trump era 
sort of zeitgeist, but also divest themselves from it because there are certain people who surround themselves in that who aren't particularly well regarded, right? So you don't uh, you don't want to align yourself with the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boebert, but that's what Republican constituents seem to want. So it's a matter of trying to walk this fine line of promoting Trumpism without promoting Trumpism. And so it's 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 manifesting in very strange ways. So finally, then, where can people find out more about the work that you do? I'm assuming you and your colleagues will be following the lawsuit against the six-week abortion ban, uh, whichever transpire and how they might uh, come forward just to see where Texas goes with this. Because I'm assuming lots of other GOP-led states are looking at this innovative way in which Texas has found to restrict abortion rights and thinking, how can we get this in our states? Absolutely. Uh, Texas, you know, after after Texas go at the rest of the country. I mean, Texas is always ground zero for these very restrictive abortion um, abortion regulations. And yes, at Rewire News Group, we will be covering this stuff. We will be covering the Mississippi case, Jackson Women's Health. Um, you can find this at rewirenewsgroup.com. You should listen to my podcast that I host with my colleague, Jessica Mason Peaklo, Boom Lawyered. And, you know, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. We're really good about breaking down these very complicated legal concepts when it comes to reproductive rights and justice into terms that people who had the common sense not to go to law school can understand. Uh, We'll post a link to that. Imani, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate all your insight. Thank you. My guest has been Imani Gandhi. She's the senior legal analyst for rewirenewsgroup.com, where she covers law and the courts and co-hosts the podcast Boom Lawyer. We've been discussing the Texas GOP's efforts against abortion and voting rights as well. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter and watch our video interviews. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and also follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.